Roger that, Houston. All systems five by five. But what if there is no tomorrow? There wasn't one today. Fascinating. Get away from her, you bitch! Welcome to the Nerdfest podcast. Today we have got Dan Watkins, Ian Lemony Snicket McLaughlin, Peter Johnson, John Farthing, and the Philosopher's Stone. The worst one. And I'm Hayes. I didn't know the last one, the Order of the Phoenix. Uh, book. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Harry Potter and the Year of Nonstop Teenage Whining. Mm. Did they make films? Not to you, they didn't know. What about the Harry Potter stuck in the tent? Don't mind it, actually. They missed a trick not calling that Harry on camping. <laughs> and I'm Hazel Burton. <laughs> On the show today, we've got a film buff or film bluff quiz. And we'll bring you our reactions from the very first night of Captain Marvel. Ian, what's your quiz? My quiz is a movie sounds quiz. Ooh. They're all from very, very famous sci-fi and fantasy movies. Will you be producing these sounds yourself? Yes, I'll be making them via the aid of a traffic cone and some alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> We're also going to do a new improv-style game called Pitchstorm, where we're all going to try and destroy each other's movie ideas. So let's get the show started. It's our 30th episode, Hazel. Yes. Happy birthday to us. Happy birthday to us. We're all now 30. And everything goes downhill from here. My 30s are my favourite decade so far. I'm 40 next month, so I'm at the very end of my 30s. And so far, it's it's been the best. But, you know, the the hair's going grey, the balls are shriveling. It's all downhill from here. I'm in my mid-50s and I'm still waiting for a good decade. Oh. Is that because you have uh, certain moments of your life that you have forgotten? I've forgotten all of them, really. <laughs> you, uh, I, remember I, I remember waking up this morning <laughs> and my name. Mm. That's about it. Lemony Snicket. What? That's your name. Is it? Lemony Snicket. I thought it was Ian. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what the problem is. Ian, you've got a quiz. I do. It's a famous movie sounds quiz. I have 11 famous movie noises for you. They could be monsters, machines, superheroes, but they're all from famous sci-fi and fantasy franchises. Hmm. Buzz in when you think you know the answer by shouting your name. I am going to be shite at this. Saying that now. (laughs) You might not be. (laughs) There are some that are very, very easy and some maybe not so easy. I did once go to a Star Wars quiz with Dan where he could identify not just the lasers, but from which ship the lasers were coming and which bleepy android was which. We are the two-time reigning Star Wars quiz we champions. We are indeed. Ooh, that'll be on this year again, won't it? I hope so. Yeah. So, okay. so we've got to identify the name of the movie. Uh, yeah, the name of the movie or the movie franchise, mm-hmm. at least. Okay, so here's your first sound. Get ready to buzz. <laughs> Peter? Godzilla? Nope. John? Is it Hazel on Valentine's Day? (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Dan, is it a predator? Nope. Hazel, is it Jurassic Park? Nope. Can we have it again? Yep. (laughs) 
John, is it King Kong? Nope. Hazel, alien? Yes. Oh. Ooh. That is the sound of the alien screeching. One point to Hazel. What is this? Hazel, Robocop? Nope. I know it. I can play back yeah. I can't place it. I'll try again. John the Terminator? Nope. Peter, Star Wars? Nope. I think I'm going to get this one now, they? Wally? Nope. That is the sound of the DeLorean doors opening. Oh, oh, no. Nice. Number three. John, is that a lightsaber? Nope. Hazel, Predator? Nope. Dan, is that an Uruk-hai being born in Lord of the Rings? Nope. <laughs> Some kind of gloppy thing. So, I don't know, I'm hearing like energy, metal. Uh... <gasps> Metal's a clue. Dan, Ooh. is it the Terminator? Nope. Oh. John, is it a TIE fighter? Nope. Uh, someone pulling the sword from the stone in some sort no, of off, I think. No, I think you've all bummed out the one. That is Wolverine's claws opening. Oh, yeah. adamantium. Gloppy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> More liquidy than I was anticipating. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you've got to get this one. Otherwise, you're all banned from doing a podcast ever again. Peter, what? Robocop ED209 no, charging no, up? No. There is, it is charging up. Hazel, Star Wars? John, is it the Death Star charging up? Nope. Is it the laser in Goldfinger before it chops off James nope. Bond's nads? No. Nope. I've stumped you this time, haven't I? That is a proton pack from Ghostbusters. Oh, Dan, really? is it a proton pack from <laughs> yes. Ghostbusters? Yes, correct. <laughs> okay, next one. Got to get this one, surely. No, no, hang on. That, that no, was that, a TIE fighter. No, that was that was all the sound effects playing at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like a TIE fighter. No, no, it's not. Here we go. Oh, that's Jurassic Park. What? Jurassic Park, Peter. Hazel, Jurassic Park. No. Godzilla. John. Yes. Oh. Godzilla. Distinctive sonic roar. Uh, which is the sound of a knife being run down a piano chord. Yeah. Damn. That's a T-Rex from Jurassic Park. Yeah. <laughs> that is a T-Rex from Jurassic Park. Oh, Dan's steaming ahead with two points. Get ready to jump in. You will know this one. Predator. Peter. Predator. That is Predator. Hazel. Indiana Jones. Whip. John's Spider-Man. It whip. is. It's a web sling from Spider-Man. Uh. It's shooting something in the distance. That's like a gun loading up. Is it the Men in Black gun? Nope. It is a gun. A very famous gun. Not Han Solo shooting. It is. That's Han Solo's blaster. Yeah. Ah. Dan, you've let us down. Dan might get this one. Might not. Here we go. John, is that the Wilhelm scream from lots of different things? No. No. 
Peter, is it the Rancor Pit Monster or something like that? No. Nope. Dan, is that a Nazgul? That is a oh. Nazgul from Lord of the Rings. Yeah. I was nearly there. <laughs> I knew you'd get that. John, is that Dan on Valentine's Day? <laughs> <laughs> right, and the last one. I presume Peter might get this, but I could be wrong. Um, Peter, Robocop? Nope. Dan, Marvin the Android from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Nope. Hazel, Galaxy Quest. No. No idea. Given that is a light cycle from Tron. Oh, oh okay. Uh, so at the end of the 11 questions, who's got what? Um, so I have one point. Dan has got three points. John has got two points. Ooh. Peter has got one point. Ah. Dan is the winner. Oh, Dan so, is the winner. So what's the, what's the prize? What's that on the sofa there? <laughs> no. <laughs> What have you? <laughs> no, please. I take my points back. <laughs> but oh. there's, there's a bonus question here. Oh, you so might, John, you might, you, you might be it. safe from the sack of fun yet. Okay. <laughs> In fact, there's two bonus points. Um, Peter Cullen, the voice of Optimus Prime, also voiced one of those sound effects. Which one was it? Was it Alien, the DeLorean Door, the Wolverine Claw, the Proton Pack, Godzilla? T-Rex, Predator, Spiderweb Sling, Star Wars Blaster, Nazgul or Lightsikers. Which one did he voice? I'm going to go with Predator. Correct. He ah, did the voice of Predator. Damn it. I knew, I knew that. You just beat me to it. I just did an educated guess. Yeah. Which leads me on to a bluff. <laughs> okay. Peter Cullen is famous for voicing many sound effects and, and creatures in his illustrious career. So I'm going to tell you uh, the names of these characters that he's voiced. Which one did he not voice? Eeyore from Winnie the Pooh, King Kong, Stripe from Gremlins, Kit from Knight Rider. Which one did he not voice? Which one did he not voice? Knight Rider. So I know Val Kilmer's played it in one thing. Someone else uh, played it in the show. It was uh, Mr. Feeney from Boy Meets World. Mm. You're correct. Oh. He did not voice Kit, but he did voice Carr. It was oh, Kit's right, nemesis yeah. <laughs> in the TV series yeah. when they had a battle car to car. We have no idea what threats are out there. We can't do this alone. We need you. I'm not what you think I am. We are literally minutes out of the View Cinema in Cromington on planet C53. <laughs> Just being to see Captain Marvel. And we're going to give you our spoiler-free immediate reactions. We're currently in the, the Nerdfest mobile recording studio, which yeah. is Hazel's car. Sat in a car park in uh, Cromington. <laughs> we look like we're dogging. So what do we all think? I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was great fun. I had me smiling all the way through. 
Yeah, really enjoyed it. A few genuinely really good hero moments where you yes. just go, come on! <laughs> uh, she is going to kick Thanos' ass in Endgame. Some nice surprises, really good backstory, fantastic what they call in the end credits legacy effects on Samuel mm. L. Jackson and Clark mm, Gregg. Okay. Uh, that's the official term for de-aging now by the looks of it. The Sims finally got that right. Oh yeah, it was brilliant on Samuel L. Jackson, wasn't it? It takes a lot for me to stop looking mm. at an effect like that. And finally yeah. I did by the end. So I'm... it was like 95, so effectively his Pulp Fiction look. And it was like I was looking at him, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. The way he performed it felt like him from the 90s yeah. as well. Yeah. It didn't oh, yeah. feel like older Samuel L. Jackson. That cat is actually 53 years old, but mm. you would never know it from the effects. <laughs> <laughs> the cat, by the way, is one of the highlights. But, uh, coming back to Brie Larson, who is the star? Um, not, not Samuel L. Jackson. She is magnificent, lights up the screen, everything you would possibly want in a superhero, regardless of gender. Yeah, oh, that brilliant. didn't really come into it for me. Nope. She was just a superhero. Mm -hmm. And I think it's probably not a spoiler to say she doesn't start the film wearing the red, mm. blue and gold Captain Marvel mm -hmm. outfit. But yep. the moment that happens, that's one of those hero moments I was talking about. It's like, okay. she's got to win. I heard goose pimples when that... It was like, like on a long shot of her first wearing the colours that we recognise. Um, and it, I was like, yeah. Because by that point, I'd gotten to know her and yeah. I was very I proud of her. There was one point where I thought, oh, is it going into CGI overload for the last 20 minutes? But the space it, stuff. But then it pulled back from that. And there were quite a few shots of dappled light through trees and fields and things like that that yeah. felt like they could have been in an art house movie, yeah. but mm. mixed in with all of this effects yeah. heavy hero funny stuff. Funny mix because they handled the quiet scenes between the characters really, really yeah. well yeah. and with mm. lots of humour yeah. and lots of emotion. And yet the chase scenes, like the parallel chase between a car and the subway train. That yeah. was handled really, really well. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think the uh, the 90s stuff worked really well. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, As a music aficionado, John, happy with the soundtrack? Uh, very happy. And a lot of good, powerful female vocalists. So we had I'm Just a Girl in there. We had Hull, a few others. Set in possibly my favourite decades for movies, but there were some great references to you know what the world is like today. I thought mm -hmm. that was awesome. There have been, what, 20 Marvel movies now? This is number 21. Okay, so... Where would we place it among the 20? Just on instant reaction, where would you place it? The top half, mm -hmm. I wouldn't want to go any further than that without seeing it again. Yeah. I think that would be fair. It was this time last year that I was re-watching them all and yeah. my order changed around. It might crack the top 10. Yeah. Which is no criticism of it at all. It's mm -hmm. just that there are lots of Marvel films I really, really like. Mm. And I, yeah. again, I need to give this one a little bit of time to decide whether it's hovering around that Ragnarok, Doctor Strange, Age of Ultron level or whether it goes up to the Infinity War, Guardians mm. of the Galaxy yeah. level. But I think it's one of the best standalone films. I think, I think Ragnarok it's... is better. <laughs> <laughs> I know that it's the most recent film I've seen and it's still fresh in my mind, but at the moment my gut instinct is to put it in the top five. Ooh. Fair enough. Okay. That gets bumped. Possibly Civil War. Mm. I'm not sure it'll mm. hold on to that in time, but it's mm. good that you enjoyed it so much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we <laughs> will get into this in a lot more detail in our next podcast, where we'll do a full spoiler-heavy review and talk yeah. about the connections with Endgame. But uh, any closing thoughts before the police come and get us? Because our, the windows are all steamed up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Be prepared to cheer up a little bit in the very first few seconds of the film. Oh, yes. The film is dedicated to the memory of Stan Lee. Yes. Oh, and the nice. way they deal with that is Lovely. really nice. Really, really yeah. nice. Yeah.
So, film buff or film bluff, this is our quiz where we've all got three pieces of trivia, but one of them is completely made up and the rest of the nerds and yourselves at home will try and work out which one is the made up fact. Dan, do you have your film buff ready? Yes, I do. Uh, My film buff or film bluff this episode is about Marvel Cinematic Universe directors directing sitcoms. So we know that the Russo brothers directed lots of episodes of Community and Arrested Development. And Taika Waititi did a lot of episodes of Flight of the Concords, as well as apparently the US reboot of The Inbetweeners. Mm. Yeah. Uh, But which of these MCU sitcom pairings is a bluff? Number one. Avengers director Joss Whedon has directed the US version of The Office. Number two, Thor director Kenneth Branagh has directed Ben Elton's Shakespeare sitcom Upstart Crow. Or number three, Ant-Man director Peyton Reed has directed Zoe Deschanel's show New Girl. Kenneth Branagh. I can believe Mm. the Peyton Reed. I know that Joss Whedon has directed The Office. I think you're going down a Shakespeare route because Ben Elton wrote the new... Shakespeare film that Kenneth Branagh stars and directed, yes, which is old Shakespeare or older Shakespeare. You're trying to make us associate Kenneth Branagh because he's a Shakespearean actor with, mm-hmm. oh, he would probably have done that, yeah. But I think that's a bluff. Mm. Are we all agreed? I think we are. You are all correct. Ah. <laughs> yes. Although he did uh, direct All Is True, which Ben Elton wrote, a dramatic film about Shakespeare, and Branagh has been in Upstart Crow. He hasn't directed it. So... Uh, Joss Whedon and J.J. Abrams directed back-to-back episodes of The Office in, I think, season three. But Hazel will confirm. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) Hazel will not confirm. Uh, And Peyton Reed has directed New Girl, as well as 13 episodes of the Back to the Future animated series. Really? That was a good show. Yeah. I don't remember it, but there you are, from Back to the Future to Ant-Man. I think it had a live-action Christopher Lloyd doing, like, the top and tail of the episode. Yeah. Proof that Avengers Endgame will have time travel in it. Yes. Okay, so I have three facts about Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, okay. First one. The Arnold Sports Festival is considered the second most important professional bodybuilding event. And Arnold Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger. <laughs> anyway, that one is considered the second most important bodybuilding event, but it's named after him. As a Republican, Schwarzenegger was first elected in 2003 in a special recall election to replace then-Governor Gray Davis. When the recall was announced, Schwarzenegger said publicly, I hope it's a total recall. (laughs) (laughs) And the third fact, Arnold is famous for his affairs, but one of the lesser-known ones is with Bridget Nielsen when they met on the set of Red Sonja in 1985. Hmm. Now, Bridget Nielsen... I'm sure she was she married to Stallone. Stallone. Yeah. yeah. Didn't she? So Bridget Nielsen was married at the time. To Stallone. No, this was before they met. She was 21, but married to somebody else when mm-hmm. she had an affair with Schwarzenegger, who was with Maria Shriver, but not married. I've heard this rumour about her having a shag with, uh, with Schwarzy. Makes the rivalry between Schwarzenegger and Stallone more... Yeah, it could be a... Yeah. Bullshit. I'm going to say that that one's the bluff. Okay. So what's the Arnold Sports Award? It's the bodybuilding competition called the Arnold Sports Festival. I'm going to go with the Total Recall being a bluff. It was a recall, but I'm just not sure he said it. I think other people did. I think he might have done because he likes a quip. He's known as the governator. He, he did use Gubernator. a lot of his lines mm. in his uh, political career. I'm going to go for the Arnold Sports Festival being bollocks. 
So one of each. Okay. Well, uh, the bluff is Total Recall. I made that up. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if he said it. I'd be disappointed if he didn't, but um, as far as I know, That's he did That's a very good bluff. Thank you. It was totally believable. So he did have a, a little shag with Dale. Yes, when it was all kind of coming out about him having a child with his housekeeper, Bridget Nielsen um, gave an interview to the Daily Mail and talked about their outrageous love affair. In 1985. Have you seen Chris Pratt is getting married to... Catherine Schwarzenegger, yeah. yes. Good mm. luck to him. Imagine having Arnie as your father-in-law. God. <laughs> Did you know that Arnold Schwarzenegger's won a Golden Globe? Really? What for? Mm-hmm. I was considering that as my uh, fact. He won a Best Newcomer, effectively, in the 70s. For Hercules in New York? No, that, no. Was, his, that was his first film, but mm. he, this was his third film, Stay Hungry. Oh, yes. Yeah, New they... Star of the Year, Golden Globe. I thought you won something for Pumping Iron as well. I've never seen it. Which is more a documentary than a movie. And did you also know that there is a sports stadium in Austria that's named after him, but they removed his name from the stadium during his period as governor when he came out in support of the death penalty. Hmm. And didn't he also um, camp outside his statue outside a hotel? I didn't know he had a statue. Yes, there's a big hotel in California and they uh, have his statue outside. And after he stopped being governor of California, he camped outside it at night, um, um, unshaven, trying to look homeless, to try and point out the huge gap in the rich and the poor. And the next day they removed his statue. (laughs) They took it down. (laughs) (laughs) He's an oddity. (laughs) John. I'm going to talk about reshoots for films. Um, Films where sections were reshot for various different reasons, Mm -hmm. one of which is completely made up. Okay, the first one is that the film Mulholland Drive, the David Lynch film, Mm -hmm. the last 30 minutes of that were reshoots because the film was originally a pilot for a TV series. And when it wasn't picked up, David Lynch went back and filmed an ending and stuck it on the end of the TV pilot and released what is now known as sort of one of the the best films of the 21st century. Don't like it. Don't like it. (laughs) You're very wrong. (laughs) Um, The second one... The film Notting Hill originally ended with Hugh Grant chasing after Julie Roberts in a car to try and stop her leaving. He knocked her over, causing her to be paralysed, which meant she could no longer have an acting career and stayed in the bookshop with him at the end. And number three, they reshot The Exorcist 3 when they realised they'd forgotten to put an exorcism in the film. Isn't that the one where they made a completely different film and then scrapped it no, and then made a different one? No, Exist Legion or Exist Dominion, which is two versions of the Exist 4. Right. So Paul Schrader directed a very serious, low-key film. The producers saw it and said, no, that's not what we want, and got Rennie Harlan to make a completely different film, which shares some cast members but no plot points whatsoever. And there was such an outcry that they then released the Paul Schrader version so there's two alternate Exist 4s that are completely different films. But The Exist 3 was directed by William Peter Blatty, who wrote the book that the original mm-hmm. was based on. Which has the single most scary shot in any of the Exist movies in the hospital. Yes. It's an amazing scene. It's, it's a long shot of a hospital corridor with various doors going off it. And this night nurse going from station to station, very quiet. The whole scene takes about all oh, five so minutes. So slow, isn't it's it? really slow. Yeah. One around being really normal, backwards and forwards, she's opening doors, closing doors, and then just at the right moment, she opens the door, closes it again, turns around to walk back to her station, and suddenly this figure comes out with a knife behind her, and it's just absolutely mm. terrifying. Mm. The timing of it is brilliant. 
so brilliantly shot, yeah. yeah. So when you see it again, or you're just spending those three, four minutes just waiting and for it. And it's still <laughs> just as scary, because you, you know it's coming, but you haven't quite got the timing on it. It's brilliant. Notting Hill. I, d- I just can't picture Richard Curtis writing such a bleak ending like that. I mean, I know that's the point, that they didn't, and they changed yeah. it. Because there was already a woman in a wheelchair in that film, wasn't there? There was, yeah. yeah. Um, Foreshadowing? It doesn't make sense. Well... I suppose, yeah, because they Again, they that may a, be why they, they took it out. They had a wonderful relationship and it was... Show, I don't know. I, I have a feeling that one's the bluff. I just doesn't ring true for me. Go for The Exorcist. I'll go for Notting Hill as well. Notting Hill is the bluff. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, the Exorcist 3, they made the film, the producer went, where's the exorcism? Um, was he not paying attention while they were shooting <laughs> this film? Um, and they actually went back and reshot quite a lot of it. The original version of the film had no original cast members in. And then when they reshot to put the exorcism in, uh, the guy that played Father Cavus in the original film was available again. They have a very strange thing where they intercut between Brad Dourif playing the character and the original actor from The Exorcist, and it just is very odd. How it's weird. A, yeah, it's, it's a great film. It's a film that suffered from not being The Exorcist and being something very different, but it's well worth a watch. Hmm. I think Matt Commode said this, but very similar, oddly, thematically to Glass, both in terms of the setting and and some of the themes. Peter? Mine is on the links between James Bond and Batman. How do we know James Bond isn't Batman? Because we don't know who Batman is. It's Bruce Wayne. That's what they want you to think. (laughs) Bruce Wayne, the um, Playboy billionaire? Yes. Why would he be Batman? Well, <laughs> have we got to explain mm. this entire thing to you, John? <laughs> he wouldn't have time. Anyway, he's like too busy yeah. earning billions. Mm. He's uh, sleeping most of his meetings with his feet on the desk. I've seen it. <laughs> You've been in a meeting with Bruce Wayne, uh, Christian Bale. Um. <laughs> anyway, and it wasn't a meeting. It was more of a. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a meeting. It was more of a collision. <laughs> there, there, there was, a collaboration. Um, yeah, <laughs> a sexy collision. <laughs> There was a story that Christian Bale was filming something in New York near the Trump Tower and said, Donald Trump wants to meet you. He's a, he's a big fan. So Christian Bale went, yeah, fine, yeah, it's Donald Trump. Come up. And Donald Trump started talking to him about doing all these big business deals and everything. And it slowly dawned on Christian Bale <sighs> that he thought that he was Bruce Wade. Uh, he said, I just went with it for, for 20 <laughs> minutes until he left. Wow. Anyway, three facts that link James Bond and Batman. Michael Wilson, who's been producer of the James Bond movies for many years, is the son of the first on-screen Batman. The second one is that not only Val Kilmer, but also Adam West, played the saint on TV or movie adaptations of the Leslie Charteris detective novels though the role is more closely associated with former Bond, Roger Moore. And the third one is that Adam West was offered the role of James Bond in Diamonds Are Forever. Now, the first guy to play Batman was Lewis Wilson in the TV serial in the 40s, I think. So Michael Wilson being his son is either a very clever double bluff or correct, but I'm guessing that Peter probably wouldn't would you assume that I would know who the first actor to play Batman was? If I answer that question, it'll give something away, wouldn't it? Yeah. Or did I use it to entice you? Possibly. Yeah, something about the way you phrase that mm-hmm. one. 
Something. <laughs> and and what was, the, was it Adam West? Did you say? Yeah, I'm say? not familiar with the timelines really for James Bond. When did Diamonds Are Forever come out? 1970. So after Adam West played Batman on TV. Yeah, his career was in the absolute toilet at that point. Adam West, he was doing um, like opening supermarkets and stuff in the Batman costume because he couldn't. Appearing at state fairs and yeah, things. Yeah, he just couldn't get work at all after Batman. He was really, really typecast. So they offered him James Bond. <laughs> Maybe they didn't offer him, maybe he auditioned for it. Maybe. That doesn't... Something about him playing the same rings a very, very vague bell. I'm going to go for he was never offered Bond. I think I am as well. Me too. You're all wrong. <laughs> in fact, Adam West was offered the role of Bond in Diamonds Are Forever, but he turned it down saying Bond should always be British. Nah, Just I've read being... his response now. Yep. Uh-huh. Sorry. Michael Wilson is the son of Lewis G. Wilson, who was the first screen Batman in a serial. And the reason for the bluff with Val Kilmer and Adam West is that they actually have both played the same part on screen. Mm-hmm. Doc Holliday, which Val Kilmer played in Tombstone, and Adam West played in a sort of movie serial. Ah, interesting. But Adam West never played the saint. Cool. There are three famous sound effects uh, which are going to describe to you how they were created by the sound artists. Which one is a load of bollocks? Okay. Well, that's how they created it. <laughs> <laughs> Most more. Okay. Um, in the movie Signs, that mm-hmm. brilliant movie, mm-hmm. uh, the aliens uh, in that was the sound of them walking around created by dismembered goat and horse legs being stomped around and recorded on the film set. So they, they got some horse legs. And goat's legs. No. Stomp them around. <laughs> in Terminator 2, Judgment Day, the bullets hitting the T-1000, that obviously don't kill him, was that the sound of a whiskey glass being dropped into some yoghurt? Plausible. Mm-hmm. And number three, the sounds of E.T. moving around. Was it the sound of hitting an inflatable dinghy with a broom? Well, having never seen E.T., I'm going to need some help here. <laughs> Shame. There's this whole scene where he's in an inflatable dinghy with a broom. He's whacking it off. Whacking the broom off. Uh, so in the, in the movie Signs, was it... Was it <laughs> in the movie Signs, was it the sound of dismembered goat and horse legs? Terminator 2 of a whiskey glass being dropped into yoghurt? Or E.T. moving around, which was hitting a dinghy with a broom? Which one of those is rubbish? The horse legs. Horse and goat legs. I think that one is horse shit. The other one... Well, the bluff, in fact, was E.T. Oh. The sound of E.T. moving was actually the sound of liver in a Tupperware jar being slopped around. The sound artist, Joan Rowe, became known at a local shop because she'd come every day to collect liver as the lady who listens to liver. (laughs) (laughs) The question is, where did Mel Gibson get all the horse legs from? Mel Gibson? You mean M. Night Shyamalan? I do, but I imagine... He's like, I've yeah, got an I, idea. I imagine M. Knight would go to Mel Gibson and go, I need some horse and goat legs, and Mel would be like, yeah, I'm on it. Yeah, <laughs> I've got some already, mate. I've, I've been bringing them to work every day for the last 20 years. Finally, someone's asked me. Yeah. I, I don't imagine that Knight himself would have sourced those, but Mel Gibson would know a guy. <laughs> are, we, are, we, are we actually going to play this now? That's the idea. Yeah, yeah just... See how it worked? Uh, Why? I'm not good at improv. (laughs) (laughs) So what we're going to do now is we're going to play a game. Uh, The game is called Pitch Storm and John is going to explain the rules. The aim of this game is to pitch your movie. 
So you've got a selection of character and plot cards of which you select two randomly to create a composite, completely random movie plot. One person then has a minute to pitch the movie based on that plot to the other players who are the studio executives. And to make it more difficult for the person, at any point, we have these yellow cards here, which are studio executive notes, and we can make high-level executive suggestions in an attempt to essentially fuck up the (laughs) person giving the pitch, who is then going to seamlessly integrate these suggestions because this is his one chance in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. So it looks interesting. We will give it a go and uh, see whether we recommend it or not afterwards. Mm. So first of all, Ian uh, has been given a character and a plot and Peter, John and I are the studio executives he is attempting to pitch to and we will intervene at various points with various notes based on what we're hearing. And Ian will try and incorporate them in to the stellar movie idea well uh thanks guys for seeing this afternoon uh i really appreciate it. i'm very excited about uh talking to you and this project we've got um um open exterior transylvanian castle night nosferatu the original vampire awakes from a long thousand years slumber only to find that his pet duck-built platypus <laughs> a rare and endangered animal has gone missing. And so begins a long road trip where Nosferatu and his helper, Bob, (laughs) travel in a horse-drawn carriage across the world. Can I just say, can I interrupt? I really like it, but could we perhaps have the whole movie set in a hot tub? Yes, okay. Yeah, okay. So we open (laughs) um, exterior and interior of a hot tub outside a, 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 a Transylvanian castle night. Nosferatu has been chilling out with his mates in the hot tub and <laughs> uh, reaches over for his um, a glass of blood, which is normally carried by his friendly duckbill platypus, uh, to realise that the duckbill platypus has gone missing. Yeah. Oh, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Um, I, have, I have two words for you. Yep. Laser dogs. Okay, okay. <laughs> So, um, uh, Nosferatu is on this journey in his horse-drawn carriage to try and save the life of his duckbill platypus that is endangered. Only one of them left. They go through various trials and tribulations to try and find the dog, but this um, ancient uh, Christian conglomerate who are trying to kill Nosferatu have actually uh, placed laser dogs around the island where the duckbill platypus has landed. And so Nosferatu has to try and fight through... Can you add a bunch of super adorable sidekicks? You know, like those little yellow minion guys. Of course, yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, um, just to the point where Nosferatu reaches the island and tries to fight his way through all of these laser dogs, he reaches in the pocket and pulls out um, his little helpers who are... Um, Ten seconds. Peanuts. He has lots of little mini helper peanuts with faces and they're called the Peanut Gang. It's the Nosferatu Peanut Gang and they, they help him, <laughs> try to help him. Three and seconds. They, and they overcome... The dogs, laser dogs, and find Time. the duck. Time. <laughs> I, I, I think, yeah. Would you, should we make Ian's mover? I, I think with the right cast. Why don't we pick the best when we've heard each yeah. of the yeah. pitch, yeah. pitches? Mine was shit. <laughs> <laughs> I hate this kind of game. Right, I'm going to be harsh. Come on. Oh, God. Guys, I've got the film for you. Yeah. You are mm. going to, you're going to shit Impressive. and cream your pants simultaneously. <laughs> Picture this, right? An A-list Hollywood star on the edge of bankruptcy, has to fight in a boxing match against their ultimate rival, a senior citizen swim team. 
What, all of them? The entire team, yeah. So basically what you've got, you've got an aging A-list star or something, maybe Clint Eastwood or Warren Beatty. Yeah, like somebody who's a bit tough, a bit oh, grim. Oh, I've got an idea. I've got an idea. For, the, for, the, for, for the Clint Eastwood character, what if he was actually under Russian hypnosis? Cool well, twist, that's correct. right? That, that's exactly actually what I was going to... I was just about to suggest that because it's, a, it's actually a sequel to Rocky Four. So, because Creed 2 did so well, we're going to make it a sequel. So, basically, Ivan Drago hypnotises Clint Eastwood to make him a puppet of the Russian government. And the only people that can stop him is this entire senior citizen swim team who box him in a swimming pool. This is, this is really good. I'm loving this. Let's add, um, let's add a super evil condom as a villain. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, and essentially what happens is, as, he, as he's fighting the senior citizen swim team, his daughter appears. Didn't have a clue he had it. He had no idea he had a daughter. And he's like, I've never had sex without using protection. And so they just then, behind the door, on the daughter's shoulder, there's like a, a, a used condom from like the 1970s. <laughs> and it's laughing at him. And it leans over and there's a little tiny hole in the top. And it said like, I've travelled through time from now to the past to create this daughter who not only is your daughter, she's the... Coach of the swim team. This is great. This is great. Um, what if we added an invisible talking penguin? <laughs> yeah, she's the coach of the swim team, but the swim team's not still motivated. I mean, there's eleven of them fighting this A-list Hollywood star, but you know they're all in the eighties and nineties, and no matter how good the coaching, they don't believe in themselves. They need a voice, and that comes from the invisible penguin. Could we? Could we add at least one explosion in every scene? Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the invisible penguin. Um, teaches them the power of the mind, but also the power of actually strapping dynamite to your hands during boxing matches. So Clint says, I'm going to beat the shit out of these old guys. And every time one of the senior citizens punches him in the face, explosion, dynamite, the penguin's going, punch, punch, punch. The daughter's going, no, condom, don't. I don't want to be evil. People of Shark Week, more sharks. Yeah, okay. And then, because obviously it's a swimming team, he's defeated the seniors. He gets to the end. He's about to crawl out of the boxing ring, which is also a swimming pool. Fucking shark there, isn't there? And it's all set on an aeroplane, right? Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, first class aeroplane. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> Time. Excellent. Well done, John. That was great. Very funny. <laughs> this is a fun game. <laughs> Okay, Peter, what you got for us? Okay, this is a great idea. It's the best idea I've ever had. It's about a sports writer who's looking for love. He's tried, he's been all sorts of dating things, but just never, for some reason, found the right person. And he's on a quest to discover Atlantis, the lost city under the ocean. He thinks if he can't find someone above the surface, then maybe his love lies in someone with guilt. This is great. We should, because it's, uh, you know, about discovering things, we should have a talking shovel. Uh, yeah, well, the, sh- the shovel is used to, uh, to dig a trench to build his submarine in at the beginning of the movie. So they build up a relationship and the, the shovel's wisecracking, telling all these jokes all the time. But he keeps getting himself into trouble, um, digging oh, what, himself oh, deeper. I've got an idea. What if the main character's... Um, secret best friend is God. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, at least halfway through the movie, he re- reveals that the voice he's been talking to wasn't actually the shovel. It was the booming voice of God mm. talking from the clouds and telling him what to do. All this time, he thought it was just a quirky comedy sidekick, but in fact, it was the voice of authority. About, uh, the main character, every now and then, he, like, he has this catchphrase, which is like, I've got Sambuka in my eye. <laughs> 
<laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, well, that, that, comes, that goes back to the dating things he used to do. Because that used to happen every single time he went to, to do speed dating. He, for some reason, he'd just end up with his drinks in his eye, and he wouldn't be able to see what so, happened. So, how can we make fidget spinners central to the plot? <laughs> <laughs> they are the secret power that powers the universe. Then, by spinning the thing fast enough, you reverse time, and that allows you to go back to a time when you hadn't started trying to tell this story. <laughs> um, we want this movie to appeal to uh, stoners. How yeah, can you make yeah. this happen? Ten seconds. Um, the, well, it's, uh, I think it's pretty trippy anyway, to be honest. Stoners will love it. The psychedelic colours, the, the way that the underwater sequences, the way everything's wobbling about. And it even has food at the end, which is always very important for stoners. It has food coming out of the screen. Yes. Mm. Food vision, it's called. <laughs> Two seconds. So um, how about the main characters are all trying to rescue a prince? Well, that's who the Prince of Atlantis, of course. Oh, it's I see. I it told you at the beginning. Makes yeah. Sense. Yeah. yeah. Time. <laughs> I think we've got to make this movie. It has to be made. <laughs> <laughs> we have one more. We've got uh, Hazel is going to pitch for us. Yeah. I have been in game design meetings a bit like this. <laughs> okay. Hi, Hazel. Thanks for coming in. What you got for us? Great. Well, I have um, the ultimate uh, movie plot for you. So picture a George Clooney-esque lifelong bachelor. He's been getting lots of offers, but he's just not quite found the right woman in his life. Is this character's name Thwap? Um, <laughs> Thwap Jones. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and he has been working uh, at SeaWorld for his entire life. And suddenly he gets treated like the dolphins. He, he gets trapped. Someone mistakes him for a sea creature. So can I just say we're aiming for the NC-17 audience with this one? So like the X-rated audience? Oh, yeah, yeah. So there's um, quite a lot of bestiality in this film. Um, so we, we, we will be getting quite, you know, uh, we'll be taking the camera in quite up and close to his adventures in SeaWorld. But he soon discovers that um, the creatures at SeaWorld are being maltreated and he attempts a desperate escape. What if this all took place during a giant monster attack? Exactly. So someone has had this idea to clone a, a, a big sea monster. So if you kind of, if you you guys all seen like Jurassic World, you know, so they know, mm -hmm. you know, there's like a hybrid dinosaur. Let's add some sexy robots. Sexy robots is what this film is, is, is all about. So the, there is going to be a cast of 16 robots varying in uh, size and model, and they will be forming a, a routine to flash dance during the film and they will uh, be also be unclothing as well so if you picture the robot from rocky 4 when she, be when she becomes <laughs> a woman standing from a man and um yeah that's kind of what we're going could for. we replace the climax of the movie with a, an enormous drum solo yes yeah, so the the, the the soundtrack um is a, a really interesting one so what we're going to do is we're going to get acdc to produce their own song because we think that there's that's you know it's been done well before. They can do better. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, a drum solo is going to be the the ultimate uh, accompaniment to when Thwack Jones seconds. breaks free. What if all the characters were played by animated fruits and vegetables? <laughs> so yeah, but so what happens at the end of the film is that they all reveal themselves to be five seconds <laughs> um, uh, uh, carrots. <laughs> They're all carrots. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's actually a it's a film about healthy eating and encouraging and trying to get, take on the obesity challenge. <laughs> <laughs> so, what do we think? 
I think it's a, it's a fun game. It's a fun game. I made up all of mine. <laughs> I didn't read the card. Oh, really? really? <laughs> <laughs> I like the game. You can do it. Yeah. I don't think you... It's a great idea for a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's nice to have those crib sheets, but it's nice to also... You know, I got inspired to like throw my own ones in yeah. as I was listening to the story, yeah. which is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I yeah. think with the notes, yeah, sometimes you... I, I didn't love just being stuck to trying to read the notes off no. the cards. Mm-hmm. I wanted to come up with my own. It's a game after a few drinks, I think, maybe. Yes, a few drinks and maybe, a, you know, something else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm talking marijuana. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think you could use it in a workshop? Well, it's a well-known improv game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's called The Elevator yeah. Pitch. It's a game that a lot of companies play on stage, mm-hmm. which is exactly this. That you get a couple of suggestions from the audience and then you have to pitch to the audience and the, uh, and the, and the executives mm-hmm. on the board throw in their ideas right so it's, a, it's a well-known improv game but i think it translates well into a board game mm. yeah they do a good job i guess of we have improvisers so we don't need those sheets maybe and we find them a bit limiting but for somebody who doesn't do that regularly maybe the, the, these cards are kind cards of a helpful help, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's yeah it's game. fun yeah mm-hmm. did you enjoy um pitching or did you enjoy throwing them in the notes more i quite i enjoy pitching yeah I enjoyed throwing the notes yeah. in more. I, I find the pitching quite stressful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I felt we maybe threw in the notes too often, so it's almost like we didn't it, uh, always allow someone the time to develop mm, the idea. I needed them, like I needed them to yeah. take me on a journey. Mm. I have no idea, like this. Yeah, yeah a, a, a bachelor who tries to break out of Sea World. I yeah. don't I know how where I could go with that. <laughs> <laughs> and the problem with all these kind of games is, with, with all improv, is, is that you end up wanting to be good. Yeah, at it, mm. and you know, if you oh, I don't come up with a good one, then I feel bad about it. It's never bothered you before. <laughs> so, I mean, so you, so you can end up doing playing the game, but not feeling good about it at the end. Yeah, which yeah. is one of my problems with mm. the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You should always feel good at the end mm. of the game. Celebrate failure. Yeah, yeah. but 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 mm-hmm. find a way. So there's no celebration of the failure there. There wasn't a sort of a. Yeah. But that might be how you do it. Maybe you have to build in that everyone agrees to make the movie, and you something know, you're like almost that, yeah. you know, yeah. validating at yeah, the end, something like that. I think like I know I can think of people that would absolutely hate it. Yeah. I think like um, my girlfriend would run out of the room if this came out. <laughs> so I think it's a it, and yeah, bizarrely, I'm sure she'd actually do perfectly fine. Oh, very, yeah, she would do. But the idea of just speaking off the top of your head like that, I think it appeals only to a certain amount of people. Yeah, whenever I talk about improv uh, to a non-improv audience, it's always God, that must be so scary. I could never do that, and I reckon <laughs> probably about ninety-nine percent of people could do it. It's all about you know. As you say, embracing yeah. failure. So it's very different from something like Cards Against Humanity where you are just literally reading cards out. You've mm. got to have that creative element, which is, is good. It's, I mean, I would, I would play it again at a party. Yeah. Mm. Good, good for um, fans of cinema. I think it's a, it's a big jump between Cards Against Humanity where you're literally just reading up your things mm. and that where you have to be incredibly creative. I think there's a mm-hmm. big ground somewhere that you can yeah. find to, to build us towards that, which a game, as far as I know, hasn't been invented yet. So let's put our heads together. <laughs> yeah. We could a million. This yeah. time next year, we'll be millionaires. <laughs> and that brings us to the end of another Nerdfest podcast. Thank you very much indeed for listening. We've had a ball. Hope you have too. Check us out on social media. We're at Nerdfest UK on Twitter and Facebook. You know, give us a poking stuff. Poking. Is that still a thing? I think they've stopped. Yeah, I think they've they? stopped, yeah. They stopped poking. Mm-hmm. It's a new era now. They're now spying on people instead. Mm-hmm. Mm. I've been poked for years. <laughs> yeah. um, and you have been listening to... Dan Watkins. Ian McLaughlin. Peter Johnson. 
a bachelor trying to escape sea world. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Hazel Burton. We will see you for the next episode very shortly. Bye. Bye. Well, the last time we invented a game, I found it in Waterstones a week later. You did, I remember that this. Was, yeah. That was quite unnerving. Yeah. Uh, Obama Llama. The Obama Llama game, yeah. yeah. I had a great idea for a game, but um, um, I realised it was illegal. <laughs> what is it? I'll show you afterwards. Can you, can it, involves, you... it involves touching things. Touching things or people? People are things. People have, <laughs> people have things on them, don't they? Do they pay you to touch these things? Oh. <laughs> do you have to pay to touch these things no they don't know they've been touched okay oh, the game's okay. called touching but they don't, they don't know, know. <laughs> it's secret so frottage. you sneak up behind people and you have to touch them really lightly on, like the shoulder the hair or any part of them but you have Did to you like make that? physical contact no, we do play that game at improv what's it called where it's penis per, on a per, bus per on the per bus. bus yeah <gasps> perfect <laughs> <a> party yeah. <laughs>